1: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
2: Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh?
0: Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah,
1: and some waves. So we could go surfing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah,
1: ski slopes. Let's
0: do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait.
2: Did we just invent california
0: discover why california is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com
1: we went from normal life healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or b cell all the saint jude team came up to get cj via ambulance shortly after that i noticed a rainbow it meant that there was hope we were driving into hope
0: Welcome back to a new episode of Her with Amina Brown. And last episode, I was talking to y'all about one of my favorite books turned to a movie, The Godfather, and another book turned to movie that is a favorite of mine is Terry McMillan's Waiting to Exhale. So, let us dive in. How did I discover Waiting to Exhale? I feel I discovered this as As many Black women of my same age in the early 40s discovered this because our mothers or aunts or some woman older than us who was an adult at the time was reading these books. I feel like women, there are women of a certain age that really, really loved and felt so seen by Tara McMillan's books. And there was a time in the 90s where it was like, you go to a Black woman's house it's an essence, it's an ebony, it's a jet. <laughs> it's one or two copies of various sundry books that Terry McMillan has written. So I encountered the story of waiting to exhale through the book first because my mom, as I have said here on this podcast, my mom is a person who loves to read. We always had different books just laying around the house or, you know, books on her a wall unit. I think it was called. It wasn't a bookshelf. It was a wall unit made of bamboo, actually. Like, if somebody had that wall unit today, people would pay a lot of money probably for something that just happened to feel pretty, something that happened to feel like anyone in the 80s or 90s could have had this thing in their house, but now you would pay a lot of money for that thing, right? So there were certain books that had always been on my mom's bookshelves, right? My mom had copies of Toni Morrison's earlier books. She had Uh, copies of Tar Baby and copies of Beloved. She also had copies of some of Alice Walker's earlier books, The Temple of My Familiar and maybe The Color Purple. I'm trying to remember. I don't think my mom had a copy of The Color Purple. I think it was The Temple of My Familiar that I remember. I read The Color Purple young, but I don't remember. I think the first Alice Walker book I remember seeing was The Temple of My Familiar. And so there were some books that I just remember seeing on my mom's bookshelf all the time as a child. And then there were like the new books that sort of entered the house. And that is how I encountered Waiting to Exhale. And I really can't remember if it was a book that I was sneaking to read or if my mom let me read it. I I don't remember those parts. Either way, I remember reading it and thinking to myself, ooh, (laughs) I just remember thinking, um, this sounds like this is some grown people stuff, but it was so fascinating because a lot of a lot of the earlier books that I was reading, written by black authors, were either written in a different time. They weren't written in what would have been considered like contemporary or modern times, or the writer may have been writing this book in the 80s or 90s, but the book wasn't set in the present day or in current times. So Waiting to Exhale was also probably one of the first adult novels that I read that was set in the present day. And that was really, really interesting to see the perspectives of these adult Black women, especially as a teenager reading this. But I feel like I fall in the category of a lot of Black people of a certain age that encountered this book. This was your first time being like, oh, she writing about sex scenes. It's nasty, but I'm going to keep reading it. You know, those vibes. That was my first encounter with Waiting to Exhale. Then... Uh, some years later, Waiting to Exhale came out as a movie. And I knew that I wanted to discuss this with y'all. And then I thought to myself, I haven't actually watched this movie all the way through in a while. So my sister came over, shout out to my sister, my sister Makita that you have met here on the podcast before for my longtime listeners. And I text her, it was like Friday night and I was like, Hey, are you busy? And she was like, No, what why? What are you doing? And I was like, uh, we're just gonna see if you wanna come over and maybe watch Wedding to Exhale with me and we could eat some snacks. And she was like, Um, yes, definitely wanna do that. So I went and ran my little errands, got our little snacks as we as we do in the her living room. I did that in my living room at home as well, and sort of built myself what I have to say is probably something like a charcuterie board, I felt very proud of it. I mean, it was blackberries and I've also gained some additional dishes that seem to be important to a charcuterie board. So I have a couple of boards, one that's wooden and another one that is made of some other material. I can't remember now, but it's very heavy, right? Charcuterie boards tend to be heavy like that. And I have also acquired some white little small square shaped containers. And that turned out to be a perfect place to put some mixed nuts or to put a jam, right? I had my little crackers out. I will tell you, I I didn't quite go all the way to where I could have regarding the charcuterie meats. I was standing there, I went to Whole Foods and I was standing there looking at some amazing prosciutto. And I don't know if I've talked about prosciutto on here, I really love prosciutto y'all like I also love my husband, you know, and it would be difficult for me if prosciutto were a man, you know what I mean? Like it would be difficult. I feel like maybe Matt and I would have to have some sort of a conversation about my additional love for prosciutto, you know. I did not go all the way there. I just really got into some deli meats. So it was it was sort of an upgraded lunchable situation because some people who are charcuterie haters, and yes, this is a thing. Some people who are charcuterie haters are like, oh, a lot of people eat charcuterie. It's just a Lunchable. That's actually not true because uh, I feel a an upgraded charcuterie board. You're not, you're not just talking about the type of ham and cheese that you would just put on your basic sandwich. You are talking about some prosciutto. You're talking about things that you buy from the deli that say hamon, you know? You're talking about this type of vibe. I didn't go there, y'all. I didn't go there. I decided to stick to the rivers and lakes that I was used to. (laughs) So I already had some very nice smoked turkey meat from the deli. So I decided to just get a little bit of ham, you know, because I like to eat swine for special occasions. And I had some blackberries, I had the mixed nuts, I had the whole grain crackers, the stone ground wheat crackers. And then just because I'm making my own charcuterie board and no one can tell me what to do, I also purchased some guacamole because why wouldn't I do that? And purchased some pepper jack cheese because that is one of my favorite types of cheese. So my sister and I had a wonderful little snacky time while we were watching this film. Let us discuss the movie. Waiting to Exhale. Now, a part of what was interesting about re-watching this, but even before re-watching, my nostalgic feelings about this movie are very much still connected to my mom, who was the gateway for me to have read Terry McMillan's books. Then that gave me the interest to want to watch this film, which is one of three movies that are based on Terry McMillan's books. We also have Stella Got Our Groove Back as well as Disappearing Acts were also made into film. And... One of the things that I remember thinking about my mom when I was a little girl, and I think I've talked about this when we did the Behind the Poetry episode on Girlfriend's Poem, when I was growing up, my mom always had just a small number of women friends that she really loved and was close to them. And there was always a moment of them coming over where, you know, they would kind of hang out with me or, you know, play little games with me or whatever. But at a certain time at night, mom put me to bed. And it was like I talked about this in The Godfather, the scene at the end of Godfather one where Kate is surely, um, where Kay, Lord, where Kay is surely realizing that her husband <laughs> is a crime boss. And there's that scene where like the door is closing and she's like watching them kiss the ring, right? Well, I had not quite that experience, but a different kind of moment where I was sort of felt like I was watching my mom sort of close the door to my bedroom and I'm getting this little bit of window into like her and her girlfriends now, you know, gathering for coffee or whatever they were going to drink that they weren't drinking, you know, when I was out, you know, eating cauliflower and whatever with them. And I just remember thinking, oh, when I get to be grown, when I get to be a grown lady, I want to also do this with my women friends. And so that has totally become, you know, a part of my life, right? And I think there was something really beautiful about the way Waiting to Exhale expressed the friendships of Black women. And also it really was interesting rewatching the movie and thinking that this was probably the first modern, contemporary piece of art that I watched where there were young, modern Black women admitting that they enjoyed sex, admitting that they sometimes would have these sexual experiences with men that they had no intention of having a relationship with, and there were a lot of ways that Terry McMillan's work that I can now look back on and say, I wasn't a grown lady when Terry McMillan was releasing these books originally, but those books influenced a lot of what the Black women who were older than me at the time, you know, found to be true about their dating lives and how they expressed that and the freedom that they began to feel to say, maybe I am not the traditional woman that my mother was or that my aunts were in my family. Maybe I am older now than they were and I haven't gotten married yet or maybe I'm older now than they were and I'm divorced and trying to figure out that. So there were a lot of those types of dynamics to this story that I found really, really interesting to rewatch at this age of life and to also reflect on what my teenage thoughts and you know, young you know, high school going into college thoughts were about the movie. Okay, let's talk about this film. Whitney Houston was a gorgeous human being. Those early scenes that are just locked in on Whitney Houston's eyes and nose and mouth. I mean, even my sister and I were talking a lot about even the sound of her speaking voice. It's like, you're watching this whole movie and her character doesn't sing in the movie ever. But there's some sort of like really... Intriguing lilt to Whitney Houston's voice. What a beautiful woman she was. Wow, We have Whitney Houston playing Savannah. Leela Rashan is playing Robin in this film. And Leela Rashan is that girl, okay? During this era, Lila Rashan was that girl. She's still that girl, But she was that girl back then. Like the way she was dressed in this movie, the hair choices that were made, the amount of Black films that Leela Rashan was in at this time. Yes, love to see her. Angela Bassett is playing Bernadine and Loretta Devine is playing Gloria. I mean, what a cast. What a cast. These four women, yes. Damn and yes. Okay, what are my favorite scenes of this movie? Favorite scene, hands down, is between Gloria and Marvin. Gloria, played by Loretta Devine, and Marvin, who's played by Gregory Hines. And if you're familiar with this movie, if I'm talking right now and you're not familiar with this movie, you need to get you some popcorn, plan a time, you know, in the evening or on the weekends and watch this movie because it is just wonderful. Lots of things about it are wonderful. It's a little bit of a time capsule, I'll admit. You know, my sister and I, We're watching it and there are, you know, obviously when you watch things that are from the 90s or from the 80s or even before then, right? You know, there's certain eras of time that like when you watch the movie back then, some of those things didn't hit you. But you're watching the movie now and you're like, hmm, that's a little, uh, hmm. (laughs) Like you have different commentary about what's happening. And so, of course, there are those elements of this movie that reflect the times in certain ways that if that movie were being made now some of those things would not be commentary or some of those phrases or terms would not be said right so it's always interesting to watch that and it was very interesting for my sister not to watch it because my sister was just a baby really when the movie came out and I was only barely a teenager myself really you know so it's interesting to think about all of that now
1: LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it.
0: Okay, let us go back to Gloria and Marvin. Let's talk about this. Okay, this is one of my favorite scenes because, first of all, just Loretta Devine. <laughs> just Loretta Devine is everything that is everything that is all the things. She is just so wonderful. I, I, I want to give her an award. It's, it's interesting, especially to think about her as an actor. And to think about Angela Bassett as an actor also and just feeling like these are two actors that really have not gotten enough of their things. I feel like they have not received the flowers for the amount of like they bring to so many roles. Like if I can think of like all the roles I've watched Loretta Divine play and seeing this one, which is a really important role in her filmography and also Angela Bassett. I think this role is very important in her filmography as well. But y'all, this scene where here we have Gloria, I guess I should give a little brief for those of you that have not uh, seen this film or read the book. So we have four Black women who seem to be somewhere between maybe like mid to late 20s and maybe the oldest woman is probably, maybe she's mid to late 30s, right? So we probably have what could be at, at largest a 10-ish year span among them, right? We have Whitney Houston playing Savannah. Savannah is single. As far as I am gathering from the context clues that Savannah has not been married. Savannah is wanting to be in a relationship and kind of keeps finding herself in various states of being with men who cannot commit to her. Okay, okay. We have Leela Rashan. Leela Rashan, if if waiting to exhale as a cast was like the Golden Girls, Leela Rashan is somehow the Betty White of the clique. She is not the sharpest person <laughs> of them. She sometimes is missing the clues of what is going on um, in her life, but she is also single. And it's interesting because she and Savannah both are having moments where they have men in their lives that are really no good for them, but kind of come in and out of their lives and are in various states of being in a separate relationship while also still trying to have a relationship with these two characters, which is very interesting. Uh, Angela Bassett's character, Bernadine, she is married when we begin this movie and we watch her experience a great life adjustment in the sense of her husband announcing to her that the marriage is over as he has decided to be in a relationship with someone else. And then we have Loretta Devine playing Gloria. Gloria is a single mom. She has a son who is approaching his last year of high school. Her ex-husband is still, I want to say quasi, trying to be in her son's life and also is sort of a remedy for times that she feels lonely. Okay, okay. So here's a bit of where each of these characters are. So we are meeting them just very, very full circle of the film. We are meeting each of them on a New Year's Eve and we sort of follow them for a year of their lives because the film also closes at where their lives are at the following New Year's Eve. And my favorite scene involving Gloria and Marvin, Marvin is played by Gregory Hines and I need to speak to this for a moment. Gregory Hines is not an actor that until waiting to exhale, I would have ever viewed as someone who is sexy or is a sex symbol of any kind. I just I just never thought about him like that. It's like the main thing I have in my mind is Gregory Hines mostly as a dancer. But here we have Gregory Hines moving in as the the across-the-street neighbor to Gloria. We find him in a muscle shirt, you know, moving his things. Gloria does not even peep game that he is the neighbor based on how he's dressed. And I feel the context clues based on him being a Black man in Phoenix, because the story is set in Phoenix, Arizona, I feel her assumption was he is helping these people move into the neighborhood. So Gloria sashes her beautiful curvy self over across the street, sits down and does a little, does a little, you know, a little tea outreach. She's trying to find out from this man who she thinks is moving the neighbor in, Wherefore, pray tell, <laughs> who, who is the family, you know, moving into this house? And of course, it becomes this funny exchange because he he is the family, you know, he is the neighbor, right? So when she discovers that he's actually the neighbor, you know, she... She does what a good Southern woman would do. And we're we're not really given in the film. We're not given where uh, all of these characters are from before they arrived in Phoenix. But based on Loretta Devine's accent, it always gives something Southern. And she is showing me some very Southern things in her way of being right. She has this moment where, as you would, you know, you would offer Food to someone who has just moved because you know they don't have their kitchen unpacked and all those things. And it is my dream as a Southern woman myself who comes from up to at least four generations of Southern women. There is something about the readiness of either having food made if someone were to need food or come by and need something to eat or you end up with a last minute, you know, house guest or something. There was something about the preparedness of a Southern woman that just feels the need to potentially have enough of a little something to eat, you know? And I'm going to give you all an example. My husband's, Aunt, His aunt, Sarah, I think they actually say aunt. I think it's Aunt Sarah on his side. But on my side of the family, we say aunt. You know the vibes. You know how you have like different families say aunt, aunt, auntie, all those things. Okay, so on my side of the family, we say aunt. But on Matt's side of the family, we say aunt. So Matt's Aunt Sarah, his dad's sister, when Matt and I were dating, I ended up with a college gig not far from where she lived and uh, those of you that don't know about how college gigs work, um, it is not a glamorous life. It can be well paid sometimes, but it's never glamorous because a part of it is typically you get paid a flat rate. So at first, the amount of money feels like a lot. But then when you start subtracting like how much it's gonna cost you to travel there, how much it's gonna cost you to get lodging there, you really end up having to really think about your budget. So You may get what you feel initially is a good amount of money, but then you have to decide, can I afford to pay for a plane ticket or do I need to like really be on my budget and drive? And at that time I needed to drive. So I drove so far and then I was like, okay, where she lives would be like a perfect place to stop. And she's very sweet. I reached out to her and was like, hey, can I stay with you even though I just started dating your nephew? (laughs) I think Matt and I had only been dating like maybe a few months at the time, but we we had gotten serious enough by then that we'd met each other's families and it was pretty clear uh, with us and with our families that our intention was to get married, right? So she says, yes, you can totally stay with me you know, message me or call me or something. Let me know, you know, when you're getting close by. So I did that. So y'all, i probably get to her house. It's like 11 o'clock. I'm gonna get to her house and basically crash and then have to get up still pretty early. i have to get up by several several hours later and then drive a little bit more ways to actually get to the gig, right? I pull up to her house and these are dream Southern woman things. I pull up there and she's like, are you hungry? I've got hummus. I've got salad. I can make a sandwich. I've got like, she listed like what felt like a thousand things. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love Southern women to no end. I love it so much. Because same thing would happen if we, you know, went to my grandma's house, <laughs> you know, like we'd go to my grandma's house and drive to her house. Sometimes you get there, you know, 11 o'clock, midnight. Grandma's like, y'all hungry? Y'all thirsty? I got some Kool-Aid. I got some sweet tea. I made some tuna fish salad. I can also like list all these things. And this is the kind of Southern woman I long to be. I want people to somehow end up at my house at the last minute. And I'm like, oh my gosh, y'all are hungry? Forget DoorDash. You know, I just got, you know, a little bit of fried chicken, some candy yams and be a ham hock, you know, a little broccoli rice casserole, a little collard greens, a little Swiss chard. a little Like this is Gloria, talking to Marvin when she was like, you know, I'd love to bring you some dinner, have my son bring over a plate, you know? And she was like, it's not much, it's not much. It's just, you know, some biscuits, some collard greens, some candy ends, maybe a little bit of sweet potato pie and some collard greens, some sliced tomatoes. I mean, I'm making up stuff, but you know, she listed like, she listed what you would typically have for a holiday dinner as something she just happened to be cooking one time. And this is the kind of Southern woman I strive to be, Okay. Loved to see that in this scene. But the best part of the scene is this. After Gloria, you know, offers Marvin dinner, and Marvin's like, I don't know, I got so much to unpack. She's like, that's okay, you know, I'll send my son by with a plate. Nice to meet you, Marvin. And she sashays herself back across the street. And she has this moment where she's like, Is he watching me? And of course he was watching. And she looks over her shoulder. Oh my God, he's still watching. Whew, y'all. The best, the best scene in the movie for me. My second favorite scene is when Angela Bassett's character, Bernadine, burns all of her ex-husband's shit. I don't even think at the time she's burning it, he's her ex-husband. He is still her husband at this time. And this is a man who... After she got dressed for their usual New Year's Eve activities, having to go to some event related to his job or whatever, you know, she's there sitting at her Claire Huxtable vanity. This is the vanity that little girl Amina just really thought she was going to have when she became a grown woman. You know, those of you that watched The Cosby Show growing up, when Claire would sit at that vanity and brush her hair every night, I was like, this is some grown woman shit I'm going to do too. This sounds great narrator. She does not have a vanity. (laughs) I do not have a vanity. Also, I do not have the kind of hair that can be brushed the way that Claire Huxtable and Bernadine were brushing their hair. But I will just put a pin right here and tell y'all that I did get my hair straightened earlier this year in the spring. And that was the first time that I really had that experience of sort of whipping that hair around and hearing that sound, you know, the brush makes when you brush it. So I'm gonna get my hair straightened a couple of times a year and I will reenact having these vanity moments where somehow you have a brush that matches a comb that matches some kind of like big powder puff thing you put on your face. This is all the stuff that I'm assuming is at the vanity that Bernadine had that was very similar to Claire Huxtable. So we find her dressed, beautiful, makeup is done, jewelry. Her husband's like, "Mm, I think we should have a change of plan tonight type of thing. And she's smiling thinking like, oh yes, I don't want to go to this party anyways. Maybe we could watch a movie together. We could hang out. No, this man is telling her that he's been having an affair with his secretary and he want to take his secretary to his work event and flaunt her around the place. And I, <laughs> there is a lot about Angela Bassett's character in this film that, that really touched me. As a person who unfortunately understands more levels of grief than I wish I did, the way she sort of entered like a depression first where this man that she'd been married to all these years, she helped him build up his company and his career. This man just all of a sudden decided this shit is inconvenient now. He just doesn't want to be with her anymore after she had the two kids, everything. You watch her really get into this very deep level of sadness. And she is in this bathrobe, sends her kids off to school and decides that she needs to burn his shit down to the ground. And... A girl has been in therapy talking to my therapist about my anger. And I actually thought to myself, like, I don't I don't have this type of relationship with my own husband. So I have no reason to burn my husband's things. But you know how they have these places where you can go um, smash rooms where you can go and like bang TVs and break glass and stuff. They should also have some type of a waiting to exhale Bernadine themed room where you somehow can go up in somebody's like it's like no one's closet they just put some random clothes there and you could take them off the rack tear them off the rack and then there's a lot of layers to how she burned up his shit okay she takes his stuff down off the rack she stuffs it through the sunroof of his car puts the garage door up pulls his car out to the driveway lights her cigarette and then burns everything, dress shoes, sneakers, suits, and his car. Wow. Like, I really would love a Smash Room themed on Bernadette where you could just go in and basically do this whole thing she did. Like, <sighs> that sounds great. That I, I feel like that would be some great anger expressions. Whoa. Also, last scene that was kind of tender for me and my sister and i were watching the movie thinking this was such an interesting plot choice in the novel as well as the movie itself where once bernadine's divorce is final she is in the in the bar at the hotel where she has just sat in you know, whatever the the closing room or whatever they did to sign all their documents and stuff, whatever boardroom they had there. And she's sitting in the hotel bar, you know, just reflecting on life as I'm assuming one does when you're like, wow, this like really wild thing just happened to me and now that's over, you know? And here we meet a young uh, Wesley Snipes playing this character that Bernadine meets And they kind of have this interesting kinship, right? Wesley Snipes' character is married, but his wife is dying. And so she's been sick so long that he and his wife do not have a physical relationship anymore. And there's this interesting moment where they end up going up to his hotel room and here they are both contemplating Am I ready to do this? You know, she's there like, am I ready to have sex with someone else like this? That's not this now ex-husband. Am I ready to do this now that the divorce is like final, all the things. And then, you know, he's there like, am I ready to do this? Even though my wife is dying, even though I know that she wants for me to be happy and wants for me to move on at some point, you know, can I have sex with someone that's not my wife while my wife still lives, even though she's not the wife that I knew from when she was healthy, you know, all these things. And it was very tender that the plot choice was not for these two characters to actually have sex, but these two characters kind of just lay in bed and cuddle together which is a very intimate thing to do and the way the sun came up on them oh, just mm, so many things so many things so there's a lot about that when i saw that scene you know i turned to my sister and said you know i wonder if this book were being written today would this be the scene or would the two characters have just gone ahead and had sex and then they would have to, they would have had to deal with whatever the results or possible fallout for them emotionally or whatever would have been from that choice. You know, there are just certain choices that Tara McMillan made in her writing, as well as uh, Forrest Whitaker made in directing this film as well, plus the actors, you know. So it was very tender. It was a very tender scene. And I love any opportunity where you get a chance to see uh, these two Black characters be so tender and Soft with each other in this moment. That was wonderful to see for me. I love a little tender thing. That's just me in my 40s now. Also, we need to talk about this soundtrack. Keita and I were listening to this movie. We're watching the movie, also listening to the music. And I was like, this soundtrack is really, like it's extraordinarily banging. Like, wow. And it feels... It feels a bit more rare today that I watch a movie and also love the soundtrack. I have quite a few movies that I love the soundtrack of, but I have to say most of them were made in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, and some early 2000s maybe. But I haven't loved a soundtrack like that from a movie in the last 10, 15 years that I can think of right now that I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, yes. Waiting to Exhale had some bangers. Obviously, we have Whitney Houston's Exhale, Shoop, Shoop. We also have Tony Braxton's Let It Flow. We have Brandy's Sitting Up in My Room. And we have a quintessential tune from this movie, Mary J. Blige on The Not Gonna Cry. This is one of those songs that, I remember singing my guts out too in the car or in my room, listening to my little, you know, clock radio that I had in my room. That sounded old as hell. Sorry, y'all. Anyways, like I remember singing my guts out when I haven't lived through any of these things that Bernadine went through, because Mary J. Blige is really singing from Bernadine's perspective. I mean, when she opened up that was your lover and your secretary working every day of the week. Woo! When Mary J. Blige got to that that hook right there said, I'm not going to cry, okay? Because you're not worth my tears. I, mm, mm, Mary J. Blige made a hit right there. Like I just somehow at however old I was, my teenage self somehow became a broken-hearted grown lady. <laughs> just belting this song out. Shout out to Mary J. Blige and not going to cry. I also want to give a special shout out to Shaka Khan's cover of My Funny Valentine, I love me some Shaka Khan. Okay, but my favorite Shaka Khan is typically fast song Shaka Khan. This is Do You Love What You Feel? You know, like that version of Shaka Khan. Like that's them fast songs that tell me something good. Shaka Khan. That's 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 the type of Shaka I normally like. But Keita and I were watching the movie, and Keita was like, "Who is this? Who is this singing this?" And it's almost like sometimes because Shaka Khan has so many like dance hits, you forget how m- melodious and jazz filled that vocal is. So if you are a person who loves jazz standards, you should definitely listen to this soundtrack to get Shaka Khan's version of My Funny Valentine. hmm. Yes. OK, other thing that needs to be discussed on this soundtrack is Count On Me. Who, I mean that song just Whitney Houston and CC Winans on this song right here. First of all, the vocals were just unmatched. Unmatched, unparalleled. And I love a good friendship song, you know? And there is just something about count on me that just it just touches my heart every time because I think most of us, a lot of us, would be able to think of very specific people that, when you are singing that, please believe, please believe me when I say, you can count on me. Who? And then at the end, when like Whitney and Cece were trading the vocals, show can. Oh, whew, y'all, man, this soundtrack is bringing us so many gifts. I myself am going to have to revisit it. Yes. Mm-hmm. What can we say about waiting to exhale? It is still, even re-watching the movie, it is still just, it's just wonderful. And I love a time capsule of Black culture and Black history and Black herstory. And I don't just mean that in the cliche way. I mean, in the way that this book and this subsequent movie became this time capsule of what were Black women concerned about? worried about, what were Black women wanting out of their lives, you know? Um, How were our friendships impacting that at the time? This was a little capsule of these fictional characters that really were this great reflection of what those relationships are like for so many of us as Black women today. So shout out to Tara McMillan for writing something that has really affected many generations of Black women now. And shout out to the cast of this film. We really got a chance to see even more so these characters come to life. And I I really am missing Whitney Houston and that we do not have her here with us any longer, and also glad that we have this moment to view her in this film to see this beautiful work that she and the other actors here did. So, shout out to the cast and crew of Waiting to Exhale. If you have never watched this movie, watch it. If you have watched the movie, rewatch it. If you have not read the book, go read it. And if you already read it, it could be a good reread as well. Love to see it. Hope to talk to y'all soon.
2: Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh?
0: Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country.
1: Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh.
0: Love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah,
1: ski
2: slopes. Let's
0: do it. Um, tenor girl goes shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait.
2: Did we just invent California?
0: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.